and welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Last week, we were talking about the topic of preaching and uh, specifically expository preaching. And I asked a question last week that uh, I wanted to explore a little bit further uh, today. And the question is this, uh, when we're evaluating our preaching, we're evaluating the preaching uh, of someone else, we want to ask this question, could a good Catholic or a good Mormon uh, listen to your sermon and walk away satisfied or, or agreeing with it? Now, what exactly did I mean when I said that? And I'd like to focus on this today because I think this is, this is huge in the church. Many churches today are preaching messages that ironically uh, are not distinctively Christian. When that happens, you end up proclaiming nothing more than mere moralism. So let's kind of begin by going briefly to the book of Galatians. What Paul does in this book is he condemns the Galatians because of an error they made in regard to the relationship between faith and works. In Galatians 3, verses 2 through 3, uh, Paul says this, Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What was Paul condemning here? He was condemning the fact that the Galatians distorted the doctrine of sanctification. They viewed their justification or their being made right with God or their salvation. They, they, they viewed that as coming from faith alone, which is good and correct. They correctly understood that the Holy Spirit is received through faith, not works. But where they got it wrong was that then they turn from faith to the law in order to grow in their sanctification. Paul's point was that my justification and my sanctification are both received through faith. In other words, the gospel is relevant for the whole Christian life, not just the beginning. The gospel is the engine that drives my holiness and my obedience. I think a lot of times what ends up happening is in our churches, we end up viewing the gospel as kind of this door that I walk through to get my salvation. And so once I've walked through that door, it's irrelevant at this point. And so now I've passed the gospel and I don't need it anymore because, you know, I already you already used it. I'm good. And so now my holiness is completely dependent on me working it out, which is not true. The gospel, again, is the engine that drives my holiness and obedience. And so if this is true, shouldn't our preaching reflect that? I think this is overlooked today in so many ways. The law is good, but the law is powerless to make me obey the law. And where I see this error in preaching today is that there is a tendency to preach messages which merely demand obedience to the law, which wouldn't be bad except that that's not the whole story. See, the commands of Scripture, the imperatives of Scripture, the rules and the laws and all of these things in Scripture are situated within a redemptive context, and so our preaching ought to reflect that. The Bible is more than just stop doing bad things and start doing good things. It's also you can't stop doing bad things and you can't do good things apart from Jesus. 
Everyone knows that murder is wrong and lying is wrong, and anyone can say that. What makes preaching different? What makes it distinctively Christian? So what we want to see, if we're going to answer this question, is we're going to explore uh, briefly here what has been called Christ-centered preaching. Now, not everything that labels itself as Christ-centered actually is. Just for example, uh, one of the early church fathers, uh, and, and you could see a number of these kinds of illustrations, but one of the early church fathers suggested that in the book of Jonah, the worm in that story was uh, was Christ. And he concludes this because the worm devours the plant, uh, and so too Jesus devours, as, as um, he says, the old covenant. There are plenty of examples of this kind of stretching of the text to mean things it doesn't mean. You, you look at that and you're saying, obviously, that's, that's not what the text is saying. It's not trying to make the point that the worm is Jesus, okay? And so those kinds of things that maybe uh, in the past have been termed, or even today, termed Christ-centered preaching, is not necessarily uh, Christ-centered to just arbitrarily um, pick things out and say, this means that and this means uh, this. Um, we're not advocating this strange importing of information onto the text. We are to preach without making the text say something it doesn't say. So let me give you an example of what I mean on the positive side. Uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, this, this book is a book that has one debatable reference to Christ in chapter 12. So let's just say for the moment that it, it doesn't refer to Christ, or, or even if it does, how do I preach the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes um, from a Christ-centered perspective? Is there a way to both be faithful to the text of Scripture without twisting it, while also taking people to Christ from that text? If we don't get to Christ, the problem is that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes becomes moralism. And there is no uh, faith or there is no grace in mere moralism. And I think it's there. I think we've just got to look. The book of Ecclesiastes, it teaches that everything under the sun is meaningless. It is vanity. And when uh, Solomon says the phrase under the sun, this is what he means, apart from God. So when I look at life under the sun or apart from God, without God, life is meaningless in that kind of a world. He does this really for the sake of argument. If this really were the case, if life really existed apart from God or merely under the sun, then of course it would be vanity of vanities. It would be meaningless. So when we get to the New Testament though, we notice something strangely familiar in Romans chapter 8. I want to read this passage here, Romans 8, verses 20 through 23. Paul says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, do you see the connection between Romans 8 and the book of Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes demonstrates for us what a world without redemption looks like. 
Ecclesiastes is a case study in a life without meaning. In fact, the word vanity in the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes is the same word in Romans 8, which is translated futility. Ecclesiastes reminds us of the vanity and the futility of a world without purpose and hope. Let me just go back here for a quick second to to Romans 8 and read that, that verse here again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So this verse right here, Romans 8.20, is really describing an Ecclesiastes kind of a world. This vanity of vanities, everything is vanity kind of world. So we take that idea, uh, the idea that uh, Ecclesiastes reminds us of vanity, futility, take it to Romans 8, and what do we recognize? We recognize that creation, and particularly humanity, requires redemption. And that's simply what it says here in Romans 8. In hope, it says the creation was subjective futility, in hope that creation would be set free from bondage. And then he goes on to say how um, the same is true for us as, as, as humanity, that we can be set free, free through Christ. And that's something that only Jesus provides. And so in light of that, Ecclesiastes is Christocentric in that sense because it reminds us of our need for redemption. It reminds us of our need of a Savior. Ecclesiastes creates hearts which long for meaning and purpose and redemption. Ecclesiastes creates hearts which long for Christ. How does Jesus fix the problems presented to us in Ecclesiastes? How is fallen humanity redeemed? Well, of course, the answer to that comes through the gospel. It comes by grace through faith. And this is why I mentioned last time that one litmus test for determining whether I'm being faithful in my preaching comes by asking this question, would a faithful Catholic be good with this message? A faithful Catholic would be good with the imperatives to be moral and to do good and to obey God and to benefit society and to pray to God, etc. But a faithful Catholic would be uncomfortable with the solution of the gospel because it contradicts their gospel of moralism. Christianity and moralism are not the same thing. Christianity does teach to be moral, but it does more than that. It teaches us how we can be moral, and that's the difference. And so when we say that we should be preaching Christ-centered messages, we're not saying that we should find you know corny ways to distort the text to fit Jesus in awkwardly somewhere. What we're simply acknowledging is that our fallen condition requires redemption. And so the entirety of scripture is a reminder of why we need Jesus so desperately. And of course, uh, in, in, in the message uh, that, that we preach, we can unpack what this redemption looks like. It looks like me not being able to fulfill the very commands in the passage that I'm preaching from, whatever passage that may be. And redemption tells me that Jesus traded places with me. So if a text um, tells me not to lie, for example, I'm reminded that Jesus perfectly uh, fulfilled what I couldn't fulfill. Jesus never lied. He told the truth all the time. And when I am redeemed by Jesus, 
What does God do? He treats me like Jesus. He treats me as if I didn't lie. And God treats Jesus as if he did lie. And this is why Jesus dies on the cross. Of course, we're not saying Jesus sinned, but when Jesus did die on the cross, uh, that, that 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus takes my sin on him. He takes all my lying on him and God pours out his wrath on Jesus because he sees my lying tongue. And then the, the, the reverse happens as well. God credits Jesus's tongue that never lied to my account. And so God sees me as never having lied. If you don't preach Christ and if you don't preach redemption, first of all, I would argue that you're not being faithful to scripture. But you're also doing something else. You are heaping burdens on the shoulders of your people that they cannot possibly bear. We cannot be good on our own. And that's why we need Jesus. Now, maybe this could be a conversation for another time. But briefly, just what I want to say for for clarity's sake is I am not proposing that we discard the law. Okay, I'm saying that scripture gives us the means for obedience Paul says uh, this in Romans 6, Romans 6 uh, verses 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so the point that Paul is making is, look, if you start to think that all this talk about grace and all this talk about redemption means that you can just do whatever you want, that's totally a wrong view. Some people have seen, what some people have done is they have looked and they've observed this problem that I'm talking about here today of this lack of Christ-centered preaching, this lack of uh, redemption, this lack of grace, and this this kind of moralistic, uh, sometimes even legalistic type preaching. And what some people will do is they will react against that and say, obedience doesn't matter because of grace. That is also a wrong conclusion, and I'm not advocating that. True gospel grace has a concern for holiness as well. And again, maybe that's a conversation for another time. But I'd like to conclude uh, this today with Luke 24. Um, Luke 24, Jesus is talking to two of his disciples. He is on the road to Emmaus. And we read this in uh, verse 27. Uh, uh, The text says, "...in beginning with Moses and all the prophets..." He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Um, If there was one conversation in scripture that not having been recorded that I wish that I could have sat in on and heard, it would have been this conversation. What did Jesus tell these two disciples when he told them, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Everything in scripture that talks about himself. Jesus tells us that all of scripture points to himself, a fact that we ought to remember as we study and preach the word. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. 